Good morning. Um, we're carrying on in our series in Romans, as you know, because Andrew read it to us. Thank you very much. Um, and last week, we looked at chapter 13, which is all about submitting to the different authorities that God has placed in our life. And this week, um, we're looking at how the church in Rome, and therefore how we should relate to each other, particularly in arguments and disagreements on less important issues. So regardless of whether we've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, regardless of whether we've been coming to Bethesda Baptist Church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, or whether it's your first time here today, if you're a Christian, you need to relate to those in your church. And so we all have things that we need to think about from this passage. There will be things that we will disagree on in the Christian faith. And this is what's happening in the church in Rome. There is quarreling happening, and it's made up of both Jews and Gentiles, which is an important context for us to understand. But these Jews and Gentiles, they agree on the gospel. They're not arguing about the gospel in any way, shape, or form but they're quarreling about disputable matters, about secondary issues, or about matters of conscience. And so we need to have that in our mind as well. And just as it was happening in Rome, I'm imagining at some point in the future, it will happen here in this church, or in any church that you go to. I imagine there will be disagreements on secondary issues, so if or when that happens, we need to be prepared to know how to respond to one another and how to appropriately live with one another. I don't think any of us would want to fall out on purpose, which is good. And I think and I hope that all of us want to encourage each other in our walk with God. And so we need to think through this passage quite seriously. Um, Paul brings up some very important points while he is talking to the church in Rome about their quarreling. And the first one is this. All of God's servants are accepted and will stand. All of God's servants are accepted and will stand. So this is based on verses 1 to 4. And if we look at verse 4, we see this. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant stand or fall? And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So God's servants stand, why? Because the Lord Jesus is able to make them stand. And if we look at the verse, end of verse 3, because God has accepted them. And this is true of all believers. God has accepted all believers, and he will make them stand. So let's take a closer look and see what is going on here. In this passage, we have two sets of people. We have those whose faith is weak and those whose faith is strong. What does Paul mean by this? Firstly, he is not talking about subjective faith. He is not talking about putting your faith in Christ and then having a weaker faith in Christ for salvation and some having a stronger faith in Christ for salvation. That is not what he's talking about. Both the Jews and the Gentiles in this church had agreed on the gospel and they'd accepted it. We're told that in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, both the Jews and the Gentiles agreed on the gospel and are saved because of the gospel, are united because of the gospel. 
So when Paul is talking about the weaker and the stronger faith, he's talking about the understanding of the Christian faith, the teachings of the Christian faith, and then the implications as to how you live. So the weak in faith in this passage are people that perhaps haven't been taught so well, or they don't have as much knowledge on the doctrines of faith, and therefore on the matters of conscience, on secondary issues, they are living differently, and they're more likely to be the Jewish believers because of the issues that are being argued over and disputed in this church are to do with the dietary laws and the Sabbath and the holy days. The strong in faith are those who have been taught more of the word and have a greater understanding of it. And because they have a greater understanding of it, they understand a little bit more as how they can live in their Christian liberty and how it can be appropriate to be as a Christian. And in the church in Rome, this would have been more likely to be most of the Gentiles because they weren't brought up with the Old Testament Jewish laws. And so it might be easier for them to understand this. Again, I want to be clear, they're not arguing about gospel issues at all in any way, shape or form. They all agree on the gospel and it is the gospel that has saved them. All Christians accept the gospel and all Christians are saved by the gospel. If anyone rejects the gospel, they're not a Christian. This is not what they're arguing about. So the strong and the weak in faith are both Christians. They're both sincere in the gospel. It's referring to disagreements on secondary issues, on matters of conscience, which we'll look to as we get to them. So in verse 1, which is written to the stronger believers, they are told to accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So the one with more knowledge and more understanding of the Christian faith is to accept the weaker one. The one with less understanding, they're to welcome them. They're not to belittle them. They're not to make fun of them. And they're not to, you know, look down on them and say, well, because you don't know as much as me, there's something wrong with you. None of those things are loving. We've already been told in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. The stronger brothers are to sincerely love and accept the weaker believers, not to quarrel or condemn them, but to allow the weaker in faith, those with less knowledge, the time to learn about the faith so that their understanding of the scriptures can grow. And it clearly says in verse 1, don't accept them just to argue with them on disputable matters. The ESV translates disputable matters to opinions. Don't argue over opinions. Don't make mountains out of molehills. Romans 14, 17, which Andre will be looking at next week, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, um, points to the real issues. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in short, the kingdom of God is about the gospel. It's not about opinions or disputable matters. So accept the one that is weak 
in the understanding of the faith. Now, the first issue they are arguing over is food. So verse 2, one's person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So the strong believers, those with more knowledge of the Christian teaching, they eat meat, they eat the vegetables, they eat whatever they like. But the weaker ones don't eat everything. The strong in faith, they're able to eat all things. They have a strong belief and a confidence that this is correct. All things means and includes everything, um, which is why it says all things, but in particular, the things that were once prohibited in the Old Testament food laws. For instance, bacon. Um, And so they were happy to do that, and they were good in doing that. You know, this church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Some of the Jews were trying to hold on to some of the dietary laws, and the Gentiles were arguing and saying, well, no, it's no longer needed because it's fulfilled in Christ. It's not a requirement. We can eat what we like. So the stronger believer eats what they like because they know they are not under the law. The weaker believer is still eating according to the law, so they eat only vegetables, they avoid all the different types of meats and foods that were once regarded as prohibited or unclean. And these food laws, they can be found in Leviticus 11. Um, I've heard various different reasons as to why these food laws were put in place, including things like, well, you know, it was a healthier diet. But actually, I think the biggest reason for having these dietary laws was to set the Jews apart. Which is why in chapter 11 of Leviticus, in the kind of the middle of what's going on and when they're going through the description of the different foods that are acceptable and unacceptable, we have verses 44 and 45, which say, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. So the issue was all about being holy, being set apart from the nations around them, which was a good and godly thing to do. But now we see in the New Testament that the ceremonial laws were fulfilled through Jesus. We no longer follow the dietary laws. We no longer follow the different ceremonies because they were all pointing to Jesus, who has fulfilled them. But the dietary restrictions, like I say, they were at once good. And it was the right thing to follow them, but now they are no longer needed. And we're told this explicitly in Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision where there's clean and unclean animals, and he is told by God, we'll take and eat what was unclean I have made clean. So go ahead, eat it, it's fine. So the stronger believers, primarily the Gentiles, were never brought up having to follow this law. They were brought up as pagans in the Roman Empire, and they've become Christians. They never had to follow the Old Testament laws, like I say, so it's probably easier for them to let go of them, and it's probably easier for them to see that they've been fulfilled in Christ. It's definitely easier that they have no link with them. Whereas the weaker brothers, primarily the Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, 
They were raised to live by these laws, and now they're at church in shock because someone's passing around bacon sandwiches and enjoying those kind of foods. And it's understandable if you've been brought up from a young age to say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and then other people in the church are, it's understandable that you'd be in shock. This is the first tension that's mentioned in this passage. Let's look at verse 3 to see how they're supposed to treat each other. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. The strong in faith is not to hold in contempt the one who doesn't eat all the food that used to be restricted. Just because they don't eat those foods, they shouldn't be ridiculed, they shouldn't be mocked, we shouldn't look down on them and think of them as worthless or below consideration. Don't think of them as second-class Christians because there's no such thing. You say, well, this stuff, it's all secondary. The gospel is what counts. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The point is the gospel. Now, I don't eat mushrooms because I don't like them. They're grim. Put your hands up if you don't like mushrooms. Good few people there. If the rest of you were to come around to us and be like, no, 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 you three need to eat mushrooms because God has made everything for us to eat. I think that was a little bit weird. I'd also think it was a little bit weird if you told me I had to eat a monitor lizard because a monitor lizard was one of the things that was prohibited from being eaten in the Old Testament laws. Anyone have a monitor lizard for lunch this morning? You're welcome to, if you want. Um, But it would be weird for you to come and tell me I have to eat it. It would be very strange, indeed. Verse 3 continues, And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So the weaker believer shouldn't look down with an attitude of judgment on the stronger believer, on the one who does eat everything, and think, actually, you know what, I'm better than them because I keep these rules, and they don't. They shouldn't criticize them or put them down. It works both ways. Romans 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. And then verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. This is the context we're reading this passage in. And Andre's passage last week, chapter 13, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another. We cannot overpay our debt of love to one another. Even if we disagree on secondary issues, I cannot love you too much, and you guys cannot love me too much. And here's why, and it's actually really, really obvious, but we often forget this when we're arguing over trivial matters. Let's look at the rest of verse three and verse four. For God, has accepted them. Whether they're the weak or the strong, God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now imagine you were shopping, you've gone into co-op, and you see someone from Lidl, and you notice another staff member from Lidl, 
And there's a few of them, and they're all stood in a line, and they're pointing at the people stacking the shelves in co-op. And they're going, you guys, you're doing it wrong. This is ridiculous. Look at the time you're wasting. You're putting each individual item up, and you're making sure it faces the front. Grab the whole box of stuff and just chuck it on. Like, that's the proper way of doing it. And the people at co-op are going, no, you guys don't know what you're talking about. They need to be done like this. They need to be stacked individually and nice and neatly. Well, one, does it matter? The customer can come in and take the goods that they want, assuming they're in stock at the moment, and they can buy them. But secondly, the even more strange thing is, why would the staff from Lidl moan about the staff from co-op? Because the staff from co-op have their own boss. And why would the staff from co-op moan about the staff from Lidl because they have their own boss? Our boss, or our master, is God. It is God who all of us, as his servants, work for. And it clearly says God has accepted all believers, he's accepted all the servants, and it clearly says that Jesus, the Lord, will make all of us God's servants stand. Now, there's a great thought. I can stand, I can have my place in the new creation, I can continue in the faith, because the Lord Jesus is keeping me and is able to make me stand. But we miss something if we just think of it like that. It's not just about Tim or I, it's about us. And all of us who have faith in Christ are able to stand because he makes us stand. And that changes the way we think about each other and it changes the way we interact with one another. We're unlikely today to look down on people because of things that they eat or don't eat, but perhaps some of these secondary issues today that Christians might be arguing about might include things like smoking, having a tattoo, drinking alcohol, which Paul goes on to mention next week, watching certain things on TV, horror movies, perhaps listening to music with swearing. Um, I heard someone online in America saying it is wrong for adults to play computer games. It's interesting where we kind of come up with differences of opinion. Differences of opinion. If there's disagreements on these matters, on these secondary issues, then there's some questions we need to ask. Well, what does scripture say? And if scripture doesn't have a, a clear answer as to whether adults can play video games, I don't see it talking about my Xbox or uh, PlayStation in here. Actually, what, what are the concepts that are going on and where is your conscience on this matter? Where is your conscience on the matter about what scripture says? And most of all, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. God has accepted the weaker and the stronger believer. God has accepted all of his servants. If God had not accepted you, where would you be? If God had not accepted you, where would you be? You would be spiritually dead and stuck in your sins. If God had not accepted me, where would I be? I would be spiritually dead and stuck in my sins. I need God's forgiveness as much as everyone else in this room or those watching online. If at some point I don't accept one of you, 
I'm disobeying God and I've forgotten his mercy. We're told to keep God's mercy in view in chapter 12, verse 1. The first 11 chapters of Romans is all about the gospel. And then we get to verse 12, chapter 12, and we're told to keep God's mercy in view. And that applies for the rest of what we're looking at for the, the rest of the book of Romans. We need to accept all of God's servants because he accepts them, even if we disagree on minor points. We need to accept all of God's servants because the Lord Jesus makes us all stand and we will all be in the new creation together. So number one, all of God's servants are accepted and stand. So let's not look down on one another with a judging spirit and arrogance. Let's not show contempt to one another in any minor disagreement. And the second point Paul goes on to consider in these secondary squabbles in the church is we live for the Lord. We live for the Lord. So we see this in, sorry, we see this in verse 8. Um, if we live, we live for the Lord. It's almost like I've copy and pasted that. Um, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So we live for the Lord. So we move on to a second disagreement, and perhaps this is a bit more of a contentious one amongst Christians today. And as we read these verses, we remember that actually these disagreements, they shouldn't be a deal breaker in our church fellowship. They shouldn't be a deal breaker in who we get on with in our church or who we accept in our church. We need to remember they aren't arguing over the gospel. They are all in agreement with the gospel. They're not arguing over someone being genuine in their faith but it's about the knowledge that they have of their faith. And we need to remember none of us have perfect knowledge of the scriptures. All of us have potential to learn more. All of us should be learning more because all of us have potential to have misunderstandings and get things wrong. Verse five, one person, the weak, considers one day more sacred than another, the strong, considers every day alike. So the second disputable matter in Rome is all about observance of the holy days, the festivals, and the Sabbath. The weak, who is lacking knowledge of the faith and comes from the Jewish background, who is growing up and would have been told to observe these things, they would have been told from day one, you do all these different festivals, you take time off on the Sabbath, you rest, you don't work because it is a day that is holy to the Lord. You don't do it, it's wrong. And so when they see their Gentile brothers and sisters not observing the Sabbath, again, it's easy to understand why they have a problem with this. We've been brought up told it was completely wrong to do that. And they're doing that. Who are they to do that? Of course they're going to be alarmed. And the strong in this context, those with the fuller knowledge about the holy days, including the Sabbath, are the Gentiles. And they're saying, well, this has been fulfilled by Jesus. And they've grown up as pagans in the Roman Empire and have become Christians. So they haven't had this drilled into them, perhaps the importance of what it once was. So they find it easier to let go of, or they find it easier to not have to worry about those things. 
Now, there could be a mixture of opinions in this room about the Sabbath. I don't know where everyone stands on this. Um, I remember when I was younger, uh, the shops on Sunday were closed. Um, for some of us who are younger than me, they might never remember that. But for me, I remember the shops were closed because it was the day of rest. And that is what our culture was used to. Obviously, that's changed these days. Some of you may have been brought up to observe the Sabbath. And this could mean that you don't shop on a Sunday. It might mean that you don't eat out on a Sunday or do other different activities. Some of you might not have been brought up to observe the Sabbath, which means you might not have a problem with going into the shops on a Sunday. You might not have a problem eating in a restaurant on a Sunday or other things like that. Some of you may have changed your mind over time either way. I personally don't think we need to observe the Sabbath. I think it is a very small minor point that Paul is making here. It's not the main point. The one whose faith is strong, or the one with the deeper knowledge in this context, I think realizes that we don't need to observe the Sabbath and the Old Testament holy days. If we flick to Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, I'm going to read from there for a second because I think it's helpful on this topic. So Galatians 4, verses 9 to 11. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So Paul is saying, well, you've turned back to your old life before you were saved. You came out of the law, the weak and miserable forces. Why go back to the law and be enslaved by them? Verse 10. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. They've gone back to observing the different calendar and dates, special days, months, seasons and years of the Old Testament. And this is what Paul says about them in verse 11. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul is saying those in Galatia you're acting under legalism now. It doesn't sanctify you, this legalism. It doesn't make you grow in your walk with God. If anything, it hinders. Have you forgotten the gospel? Why are you letting the Judaizers persuade you to go back to the law instead of trusting the grace of the gospel? That's what's going on in Galatians. If we go to Colossians, Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we're also talking about this issue. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In the context of Colossians, it's saying, well, your faith has been completed by the gospel. Your faith is completed by trusting in Jesus. You don't grow spiritually any other way. You continue to trust in Jesus, and that's what you do. 
You don't need to have a special diet. You don't need to follow any religious festivals, new moon celebrations. You don't need to follow the Sabbath. Don't let anyone look down on you and tell you that you're a second-class Christian because you don't observe those things. So they don't need to follow the Sabbath or its restrictions. Now, some Christians think that the Sabbath is moved to Sunday for Christians, um, but it's interesting, in the Bible, Sunday is never spoken about as the Sabbath. The New Testament speaks about the Sunday as the Lord's Day, and I think we all agree on this, the day that Jesus rose, the day that we meet is Sundays, because every time we meet and gather on a Sunday, we are proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection. We're proclaiming his victory over sin and over life and death, and we're proclaiming and celebrating the fact that we share in that victory, we're proclaiming that he has entered the eternal Sabbath that Jesus has entered into in Hebrews chapter four, which is the new creation of heaven, and we're proclaiming that we are also going there. And that the old Sabbath is actually a foreshadow of Jesus coming to earn that rest for us. Now, if another Christian does choose to observe the Sabbath here, Actually, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But I also don't think it's necessarily wrong not to observe the Sabbath. Where it becomes wrong is if someone says to me, you have to observe the Sabbath. Or if I say to you, you cannot observe the Sabbath. That's not right. And then if we don't accept each other and we argue over it, that's not right again. We'd be foolish. We'd be unloving and unaccepting of one another. It would be the complete opposite of what God wants. We would have forgotten his mercy for ourselves and for each other. God has accepted his servants, all of his servants, so we should too. God will make his servants stand. Praise be to him. The second half of verse 5 shows us this. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind on this issue. To be fully convinced and persuaded in your own conscience to do observance of the Sabbath or not to observe the Sabbath. Actually, you could be doing the right thing either way. To be convinced is to look at the scriptures, to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the meaning to us, to listen to the teaching of the local church and engage with it. But on these second reissues, on these disputable matters, on opinions, we don't quarrel over them. If you do observe the Sabbath, don't change your mind just because Tim says, well, don't expect that. If you look in the scriptures and you think, actually, I don't need to observe the Sabbath and you change your mind, that's fine. Tim is not the thing that's important. Scripture is. The preacher is not the person that's important. Jesus is. And the preacher should be pointing you to Jesus rather than themselves. But the real thing here is not whether someone observes the Sabbath or not. The real thing 
And the main point is your attitude towards God. But let's read verses 6 and 9. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. It's a good thing. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. It's a good thing. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks. It's a good thing. For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, that he might be bought, that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So those at the church in Rome who observed the Sabbath and didn't eat the meat that um, might have been prohibited in the Old Testament laws, well, they had the right attitude, and Paul commends them for it. They were bearing in mind God's mercy, and they were bearing in mind that he is the Lord and that they are serving him. And those in the church in Rome who didn't observe the Sabbath and ate whatever they wanted to, they ate the meat, well, they did it with the right attitude. They were bearing in mind God's mercy, and they were bearing in mind that Jesus is the Lord. The thing that they were doing wrong is that they were squabbling over it. And it's the same for us today, but there's a warning that this can go wrong if the mindset isn't right. If a Christian who is observing the Sabbath were to look down on me or another Christian who doesn't with a judgmental spirit and claim that they're better, well, that's wrong. If a Christian today observes the Sabbath to try and earn favor with God, well, that's wrong. Because favor is by grace alone, through faith alone. But again, if I don't observe the Sabbath, just so I can belittle those that do, and say, well, have you not understood that Jesus fulfilled it? Well, then I'm being a muppet and I'm in the wrong. And if I don't observe the Sabbath, because I've taken my liberty too far, and I've forgotten and I don't care that Jesus is Lord, so I do whatever I want with my life, I've definitely gone too far. So there can be mistakes on both sides. But on these secondary issues, on these disputable matters, it's about the heart attitude we have for God. It's about giving our life to him because he bought us. It's a little bit like a soldier and a commanding officer. The soldier does what he thinks is best based on the commands that are clear from the officer. And he does it because he is the one who is humanly over him. For every single Christian that has ever been and ever will be, and for every single Christian in our church, Christ is Lord over us. In everything we do, leading up to our own death, we should be aiming to please the Lord out of thanks and mercy for us. And what unites us as members of the church is more important and more profound than any secondary issue that we argue over. What unites us as members of the church is more important and more profound than anything we might squabble over. Neither the weak or the strong, you or I, live and die for ourselves. We all live for Jesus and his glory. And we also all die for Jesus and his glory. And that's when we'll go and be with him. And this is all because of verse 9, the gospel, that Jesus shed his blood for us. 
paying the price of our sin. And he gives us his good works and his right standing with God. All God's servants are to be accepted and will stand. Let's not look down on one another. Let's not judge each other in uh, a spirit of judgmentalness and arrogance and pride. Because we live for the Lord. It's what unites us is the gospel. And Paul starts to kind of almost come back in full circle where we started. And well, my third point this morning is we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. We see this in verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Another bit of copy and paste. Um, And it's the same directness that Paul has in verse four when he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Paul is challenging people on the weak side and on the strong side anyone in the church who's tempted to to divide over these minor issues, who says to the weak, well, why do you judge? Why do you look down on your brother and sister? And he says to the strong, why do you treat them with contempt? Why do you think they're unimportant and they don't matter? All of us, whether we regard ourselves as the weak or the strong, whichever category we're in, we're gonna be judged. Whether we observe the Sabbath or not, we're gonna be judged whether we abstain from certain foods or not, we're gonna be judged. Now we're not gonna be judged for our salvation. We're not going to lose that. Um, We've seen that in this passage. It's guaranteed in Christ. He is the one that will make us stand. But each believer is answerable to God over the choices on secondary issues and over the issue of how we treat one another, which perhaps is the bigger thing here. How do we treat one another and what are our motives for deciding on the secondary issues? So let's not try and be the judge over these things when we don't need to be because that is God's role. It's interesting in verse 11, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. You might want to flick to it um, because when we see a quote from the Old Testament, it's important to understand some of the context of what's going on because they don't just quote it because it sounds nice. They quote it because it has a particular meaning for what is going on. And it's interesting, what we see in this Old Testament context is it is surrounded with affirmations of God's sovereignty, the fact that he rules and is over everything and is in charge of everything, and therefore he is the right one to judge. Chapter 45, verse 22, I am God, there is no other. Chapter 45, verse 24, In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. And it's before this sovereign God, before the sovereign Lord, that we will have to give an account whether we're right or wrong in what we choose to do ultimately is a matter between ourselves and God when it comes to secondary issues, when it comes to minor issues. There is a place for us rebuking one another with scripture lovingly, there is a place for church discipline, but it's not on these minor issues. It's not on these secondary things. It's not on matters of opinion. And sometimes fellow Christians can help us understand God's will. Sometimes they can guide us down the right path and that's good and great. And we, you know, we, we should accept that from each other, but it is God who has the final say 
So even if I don't observe the Sabbath and I think that's what the Bible is saying and you disagree with me, well, it's between you and God. It's fine. Paul doesn't tell them to stop here. He says, well, it's great. You do it for the Lord. You've got the right attitude. Crack on. The other cool thing to note about this context about Isaiah is it places emphasis on unity, um, the unity of the people of God before him. So if we look at 45 verse 20 in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 20, gather together and come. Or verse 21, take counsel together. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Verse 25, but all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord. So not only is God sovereign and the judge, but God is also the one that unites us. God is also the one who unites us. God is the one who judges us individually, so we don't need to judge one another on secondary issues, on issues of the conscience, on little kind of differences of opinion. But he also unites us, so why quarrel and ruin that unity that we've been given through the gospel. Now the next time, presuming there will be a next time because we're all people, um, we disagree on something in this church that's secondary. Actually, these are the opinions that we should have of one another. This is the way that we should act. Let's not cause division on these secondary things. All of God's servants are accepted and will stand. Let's not look down on one another. Let's not say, oh, I'm better than you because you don't get this or you think that or you do this and you do that. When it's secondary, Paul says, if you're doing it for the Lord and you're doing it with the right attitude, fine by me. Let's not have a spirit of arrogance and pride. Let's not show contempt for one another. In these disputable matters, because we live for the Lord. He's the one that brought us in his death and resurrection. We all stand before God's judgment. We all stand before his judgment seat. We don't need to take his place in that. It's also him who gathers us and unites us. And he does that in the new creation, but that has started now as he works in us. So let's bear that in mind as we continue to be a church together, as we continue to worship the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that it is worth more than gold. Thank you that it does speak to us, is relevant to us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the word in its right place in our lives. Pray that you would help us to grapple with your word, to understand it more. And I pray that this would change the way we live for you and change the way we relate to one another. Help us not to be people who squabble over things that are unimportant, that are matters of opinion. Help us to continue to agree on the gospel we thank you for the Lord Jesus who died for us, took our place on the cross and raised from the dead. Thank you that we can have salvation through him and thank you that he keeps us in you. Amen.